Hey, my name is Maureen Aliko, and I'm passionate about seeing you become the best version of yourself. In this podcast, Plain Truth with Maureen, I'll be sharing my truths about my journey through life, faith, love, purpose discovery, surviving rape, and the beautiful lessons I am learning about pain. I hope that after every episode, you would make better life choices that will result in fulfillment and joy. Ciao! Hello, beautiful people. So I was invited as a guest to talk about forgiveness. So this is a very delicate topic. With a lot of a lot of us do not like to talk about forgiveness. A lot of people do not want to hear about forgiveness. So when I was called upon to share my opinions about forgiveness, it was quite it was quite a challenge because I faced a lot of opposition a lot of times when I talked about my understanding or my my perspective on forgiveness but this conversation it's quite interesting it was put together by gemstone we spent a a couple of hours talking about forgiveness my understanding what forgiveness is i talked about my story i talked about my relationship with god how it impacts every aspect of my life and how it inspires and motivates me to forgive people so pick up your pen pick up your notepad you might pick one or two things from mine for my submissions and if there if there are anything you don't agree with if there are a couple of things i said you don't agree with and you would want us to have a conversation about it of course you can always hit me up on social media on facebook instagram or twitter at maureenalikor.com and we'll talk about it so i'm waiting i hope that as you listen you'd learn a thing or two i hope it's my my story i hope that my journey would inspire you on the journey of forgiveness and help you live a life that is void of unforgiveness a life that is free wild and a life that is inspired by love have a beautiful day enjoy the rest of the podcast my name is maureen aliko okay i just added a new name, maureen aliko a little bit more <laughs> and sitting together you see it but thanks for coming more in Aliko. Mm-hmm. And it's a pleasure, it's a privilege being here. I don't count it lightly. Whenever I have the opportunity to so whenever I have the opportunity to talk about my experience or just basically share the result of my journey, I always remember how the journey started and how God has been very instrumental. So whenever I'm called upon to share, whenever I'm called upon to talk about my experiences, I always have to go back to God and say to God, this is where this brought us. This is yet another opportunity to give glory to your name. This is another opportunity to testify of how you help, how you heal, and how you help to restore people who give you permission to heal them. So when I was called upon to talk about forgiveness, I'm like, this is one topic a lot of persons do not like to hear about. I know that during counseling, I get to talk to people a lot about the importance of forgiveness. And a lot of times, many things are like, no, they don't want to hear about forgiveness, even when they are Christians. And I don't blame them. But over time, I've come to understand that forgiveness is a very important part of the healing and recovery journey. And we have to pay attention to it as much as we pay attention to therapy, as much as we pay attention to every other that we have to undergo in our healing process. 
So that's why I'm here. Thank you once again for having me. So is it going to be conversational or should we just shoot? Um, yeah, I think you can just go through the material and then um, afterwards we'll have a Q&A session if that's fine. Okay. Hello. So in the, I'm here. So okay. in the material, okay. in the material, I I said forgiveness is a two-way street, and that's where I would like to start us from. So in the in the first instance, okay, I've had experience of sexual abuse first as is a as a preteen. That I was barely 12, I think I was 10, 11. So I've had, I had that first experience of sexual abuse. And then when I was 26, I experienced it. But before I get into the chapter of talking about it, in my, after I experienced sexual abuse at about 10, my journey into healing and recovery did not start until about, I, I think until I was about 17, 18, thereabouts. So one of the most important stages I knew I had to undergo, what, of course, my esteem was affected, my, my self-perception was affected, my relationship with the opposite sex was affected. So when I actively said I no longer wanted to be affected by the sexual abuse or the effects of the sexual abuse, and I actively asked God to help me through the journey. So I practically did every other thing that was required. Okay, and it was like, okay, there are still certain parts of the hurt and trauma I still feel. When I see this guy, because he was an uncle of mine, so when I see him, I still feel that anger. I still feel like, oh, I shouldn't be in the same space with this guy. And God stopped me one day and was like, you really want to do this? If you really want to go through this healing and recovery journey that you want to embark on, especially the type I wanted to embark on, I want I said, God, I wanted to get to that point where I would no longer be affected by the experience, even when I think about it, even when I see him. So God was like, if you really want to go this route, then there's no way you're going to skip over the chapter of forgiveness. So I was like, oh, no, let's not get to that chapter. So that was when God started walking me through the journey of realizing that there were a lot of, a lot of people I held in unforgiveness. I held my dad. I had my mom, okay, my mom, not so much, but my mom, my uncle, who was the abuser, my grandmother, a lot of persons in the family, I held them in unforgiveness. And I do not also know that as I held them in unforgiveness, I also held myself too, because I, I thought in my ignorance, I thought holding them in unforgiveness and not forgiving them was basically what, I, I thought that was the only thing I was doing. And God opened my eyes to realize that when you hold someone in unforgiveness, if you are doing it with your hand or with your heart, you are still actively involved in the process. It's not like you're holding them in unforgiveness and then they're just, they're just there, you're not affected. They're still participating fully. And every time you do that, you still think about the pain, you still think about the trauma, and it's still going to hold you down. So God now has to walk me through the journey of realizing that this thing, when I say forgive, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying something you do for only the person. Yes, there's a part of it that has to do with forgiving the person or the people who hurt you. But then you also have to go to the active journey of forgiving yourself too and letting yourself heal through the process. So I embarked on that journey and 
it's beautiful. It's, and I'm grateful to God that I did that. So, sorry, my eyes, I'm trying to... So, another thing I captured in the... Um, in the my conversation is the fact that human basically there's a particular character characteristic of human being or a feature and attribute of humanity that a lot of times we fail to overlook and that's the humanity of humans. A lot of times we get very agitated, very angry, very cranky when they hurt us and we really just want to either shut ourselves out, shut the entire world out because we don't want to have anything to do with anyone. But one of the most important lessons I learned on my journey of healing and recovery is a reminder that humans will always be human. And I would be expecting too highly of humans if I expect them to act 100% sane all the time. That, that was a very, that was a massive shocker for me. And then God was like, even if you don't get to forgive human beings for what they did to you, you also have to remember that I forgave you and I'm still in the active journey of forgiving. And he also told me I shouldn't forget that I would also get to offend people in the future. That was hard for me to say because a lot of times we have this very sanctimonious attitude where we assume, okay, we are okay because we're not the ones on the offensive side. And you are just assume that we never offend people. So whenever they hurt us, we really want to let me show them how angry we are. But God began to let me know, began to let me come to the awareness of the humanity of humans and how forgiveness is very important if we are going to live as humans on planet Earth. He also took me to the Bible where Jesus Christ basically told, let us know that offenses will always come. And but then you also said words to the person who um to his the offense to come. But that that for me was more like a coming revelation for me to know that humans will always offend you, offenses will always come, even from family members, even from loved ones, even from people you least expected, the least of all an abuser, even strangers, everyone there there will always be instances where these offenses will come. But because I'm on a very intentional journey with God, or because we have this relationship with God, what differentiates us from the rest of the world is how we handle offenses. Because a lot of times our attitude towards offense or our attitude towards the person who offended us is usually a testament of who we are responding to, the testament of the relationship we have with God, the testament of how much we are growing in God. So when you realize that forgiveness is not just about the person, it also tells a lot about your individual individual journey, your individual work with God, your journey with the Holy Spirit, your personal development, personal transformation, and how much work the Holy Spirit has done or is doing in you. When you have that at the back of your mind, or when you always remember that it helps your forgiveness journey, it helps you count yourself, it helps you you have calm your nerves when you are in very trying situations like sexual abuse. So for me, it wasn't easy at, at the initial stage when I had to forgive the people who offended me. It was very trying. It was very painful because I was deeply hurt. It's not like these people didn't offend me. It's not like I wasn't hurt. 
and I did not try as much as possible to deny what they did. And that was that was a very that was another very painful part because sometimes I, I tried to open I tried to tell God, let me forget about this thing. Let me forget about it and just move on. But he was like, No, you're not going to forget about it. Dealing with it means you have to actually look at it, come to the full awareness, come to the full awareness that this thing actually happened, and because it happened, you have to look at it and deal with it based on how it happened. So for me, that was another very, um, it was a strong point for me in my in my journey through forgiveness. So one of the things, can we get the next? Can we get to can we? Scroll down a little bit. Hello. Yeah, I've scrolled down. Or do you want me to go to the next page? Yeah, please go to the next page. Okay. Okay, this is fine. Yeah. Or I can go to the okay, next so page. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah. So like I said, one of the um one of the most important requirements for us is the activity. A lot of times, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of times we get hurt, we get offended, and people deal with pain, people deal with trauma, people deal with experiences differently. A lot of time, a lot of times it takes some persons a couple of weeks, a day, months to go through their healing or to suffer the impact of the trauma for a lot of persons on the spot on the spot they are able to have that conversation with themselves the conversation with god and decide that okay right here and now i want to deal with this thing i'm not going to let it affect me so irrespective of who you are irrespective of the journey that you are on one of the most important things you have to pay you have to remember is that a lot of times when people say time is a healer of wounds, that's not totally true. Time is not the healer of wounds. The revelation of your relationship with God is actually what heals your wounds. And because a lot of times we do not pay attention to our journey, our relationship with God, how far God is helping us, what God is doing in our lives, we relinquish all of the authority, we relinquish all of the power to time. And then we just let the thing keep eating us up, let the thing keep keeping us bound for so long. And a lot of times when that happens, we keep replacing the fact that this particular person has hurt me, this particular person has hurt me, and we find it very difficult to move on. But when trauma happens or when you experience any of these problems, the first thing is to realize that you're basically not alone that especially as Christians, because it's going to be difficult to have this conversation with someone who does not have a, a, a working relationship with God. But if you know that you have a working relationship with God and you know that the experience is affecting you and you know that you want to heal, that you no longer want to be affected by this, by the pain or the trauma, you have to make a decision where, as a when you want that I want to heal from this pain. And one of the like I said, that you have to pass through is the street of forgiveness. A lot of times, 
yeah, you go to you a lot of persons will recommend you go um for therapy. There are a lot of even self therapy you you probably will embark on. But in all of these things, if you leave out forgiveness, you're basically disobeying one of the laws that Christ gave us. Because we forgive because we have been forgiven. God has called us into the ministry of forgiveness because he first of all showed this to us. He showed us how forgiveness is being done. He gave us a template of how we are supposed to live. And because we are disciples of Christ, because we are representatives of Christ, we are not supposed to carry people on what aspects of Christ we want to represent to the world. We have to we have to represent the whole, every aspect of um, divinity that Christ represented when he was on earth. And forgiveness is one of that very tangible aspect of forgiveness that we have to pay attention to. Because it shows that we are actually obeying Christ. We are following after the templates that he gave to us. And we are actually very involved in our healing and recovery journey. But like I said, like I said, the, the ability to forgive is basically always available. It's like faith for me. A lot of times, I, prior to this moment, I used to assume faith was just that the more you exercise your faith, the more God gives you more faith or the more faith in God grows. But I've come to a point, I'm still learning that God's faith is very constant. So when I exercise my faith, it is my personal faith that grows, not God's faith. That's the same thing for forgiveness. Forgiveness is there. It's, it's like a full tanker. I don't know if that's a good example, but it's like a full tanker of forgiveness that has, has been made available by God. So whenever someone offends you, you just have to decide on your own. Decide that, okay, I want to take out this particular portion of forgiveness and give to this person. Or I want to take out this portion and give to someone. So when you know that God, God has given us the ability, one of the graces that the Bible said God has made all grace abound unto us, one of the graces captured in that all grace is the grace to forgive. So when we know that we have a bank of forgiveness somewhere, that when somebody hurts us, it's not totally about us. It's a question of us and God in the equation. So when we know that, we can always draw from God, draw from the draw from the wealth of forgiveness that God has made available unto us. So if you decide that you want to give this person one cup of forgiveness, one cup of forgiveness might not be able to do away with all of the hurt that this person has given to you or this person has meted out to you. You can also decide, all of this is decision. You can also decide that, okay, this person has hurt me, but I'm going to take a full, you, you can choose to give that person a full tank of forgiveness. That's it's all boils down to decision, all boils down to your journey and your relationship with God and how you've come to see God, how you've come to see forgiveness, how you've come to see your life in the overall picture of what God is doing on earth. Then, can we go to the next slide, please? Our next page. Okay, so I said, yeah, forgiveness can be a struggle because different times it looks, yeah. So one of the um, most significant struggles I faced when the rape happened to me in 2016 was I made a post online and the title of the post was Beloved Rapist. And then I wrote a lot of things about how I've forgiven him and how I'm praying for him 
and all of that. And it didn't go down well with a lot of persons because they assumed I was in denial of the trauma or they felt I was downplaying the pain I had experienced. But what they did not know is I was able to do that from a place of realizing that the strength to actually forgive does not depend totally on my ability. I was drawing from a well. I was drawing from God's ability to forgive. So when I made that post, a lot of persons were like, why are you saying that? Are you saying it's easy? Are you saying what they did in you? So I tried as much as possible to explain that I was not downplaying the trauma. I was not downplaying the hurt. But of course, I've learned what you focus on grows. If you focus on the pain, the pain is going to keep growing. If you focus on the trauma, the trauma will keep growing. But I chose that I was going to focus on my my relationship with God. I was going to focus on forgiving. Then I was going to focus on the big picture. So the more I paid that, the more I paid attention to the big picture, the more I paid attention to forgiveness, the more I paid attention to God, the more it was easier for me to downplay the pain and the trauma. So when I say, when I tell people forgiveness is important, they're they are like, it's a struggle. I can't do it. Yeah, it's difficult. It's going to be much more difficult if it's an individual is trying to do it of their own accord and all of that. So when we say forgive, we're not downplaying your heart as an individual. We're not downplaying the fact that this person actually did hurt you. Yes, they did. A lot of times out of ignorance, a lot of times out of their intentional will and their inten intentional decision. But then the ball falls back into your court. It has happened. How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to let that thing affect you? Are you going to become very, are you going to become a recluse, someone that is totally affected and limited by that experience? So when you do that, I believe one of the things I say is, if I don't forgive this person who has hurt me, if I don't move on, I'm giving them double power. Because first and first, they did what they did. They, they took a measure of power that God gives to them and they exercise it wrongly. So if I eventually say, okay, they've hurt me, but I'm not going to forgive them. Now I'm intentionally giving them power to actually hold me down. Because if I don't forgive, I'll keep thinking about what this person has done. This person has hurt me. This person has hurt me. And I'll keep wallowing in pain. I'll keep wallowing in hurt. But because I, I paid attention to some other things, Okay, paid attention to what God was doing, paid attention to the journey that he was taking me through. It was easy for me not to downplay the pain, not to downplay the hurt, but to change my perspective, to change my focus, to change what I was seeing. That way it was easy for me to draw from that well of forgiveness and necessary. So if you're also on that journey too, have it at the back of your mind that you are not on your own. You're not doing the journey by yourself. If it looks like you're doing it all by yourself, you have to go back to God in prayer. You have to go back to the Holy Spirit, who's always available. Tell him that this thing is heavy. A lot of times we, we do not know how close the Holy Spirit is, is available once us. We never know that he's readily available to help us through anything that we are going through. So if you're that person and it's looking like it's a task, it's becoming too unbearable, give it all to God. It might be difficult, but it's possible. Go to God in prayer. If you have to journal, journal. If you have to talk it out with people, talk it out. But make sure that the persons you're talking to are people who will understand your journey and not people who are going to be judgmental. I said forgiveness is a ministry. We have been called, like I said earlier, we have been called into a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the word back to God. 
So one of the reasons I forgive people is I know that hot people hurt people. People who have been damaged will always find an opportunity to hurt someone. I believe that there's no human being in their right senses. There won't be any human being who is actually living out the full, the full capacity of who God made them to be, who would decide intentionally to hurt someone. Okay? So I believe that for every human being who does anything to hurt another person, that something, something happens that if you trace it back, if, if we can trace it, trace it, and trace it back to the Garden of Eden, that's how far back I go when people hurt me. So it's easier for me. So I, I don't, I look at them as individuals. I'm like, okay, this person, something happened. Okay, maybe something happened. No, oh, something happened. If I can't trace what happened, I just, I have to trace it back to Eden because that, that was where the fall happened. And that is where every, what every plan of God went and missed when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and all of that. So for us, forgiveness is a ministry. It's not just something, it's not just a call, not just forgive. We are actually representing God when we forgive people. Okay, I also said ministry is service. Yeah, service is basically our ability to do something for someone that we know that normally we would not have been able to do it if we have not, well, if we've not been raised. So when we say ministry is service, that means you are receiving, you receive an ability from God, and God has given you the ability to be able to extend His hand of love to somebody else. So when we seek forgiveness, we see it as God giving us a gift to give to the next person. We are just basically the middleman. And thankfully, the middleman is usually the person who suffers. In this particular case, the middleman is the person who suffers the trauma or the abuse or rape or whatever pain it is. But see yourself as a middleman. You're, you're like a waiter. You're basically receiving from God who is the sister He has given to you and then you have to pass it on to the next person. That's how I see service. Then I also said that service started with Jesus. Yeah. So basically, we have, like I said earlier, that we have not been called to do something we have not been used to do. I also said that God called us to come and to forgive people, but He didn't ask us to forgive people in isolation. He showed us the template. This is how to forgive. This is how to live. Based on what I've shown you, go into the world. So the command Jesus, the great commission Jesus gave to us in Matthew 28 is not just about preaching, preaching about Jesus. It's also preaching about the attributes and the characteristics of Jesus and all of that. Of which forgiveness is one of them. Jesus forgives things, forgives people who hurt him, forgives forgive people. So when we know that this Jesus started doing what he has called and invited us to do, we are basically co-liberals. Yes, we are going to be hurt. Jesus was hurt. Yes, when you are abused or when you get it, you'll be hurt too. But always remember that you are in partnership with God and you're basically the waiter. God is the chief server and whoever you're serving forgiveness is the one at the receiving end. So you're just a channel via which God is reaching someone. I also said that we are followers of, we are Jesus' followers and disciples. So because Jesus did it, has called us to actually do what he has called us to do or what he did. So scope of forgiveness. I said in every offensive situation, there are always two worrying parties, the offender and the offended. And forgiveness cuts across the two parties, forgiving who has hurt you and also forgiving yourself. 
So a lot of times when we talk about forgiveness, we don't usually pay attention to forgiving ourselves. We usually assume forgiveness is just external. We assume it's something we give to other people, give to other persons who have hurt us. But a lot of times we hold ourselves down in unforgiveness where we begin to blame ourselves for our wrong decisions, we blame ourselves for wearing a particular dress, blame ourselves for being with this particular person or for trusting this sibling or for trusting this friend, for even trusting a parent because abuse happens on various angles, okay? So it's also very important that while we are teaching, while we're teaching people to extend the hand of forgiveness, we should also not say, forget the fact that sometimes we have to forgive ourselves whether we're the ones who hurt people or whether we're the recipients or we somehow blame ourselves for putting ourselves in a position that brought hurt to us. We should also pay attention to forgiving ourselves. Okay. And so I said, I love to, okay. I said forgiveness is impossible without love and love is spoiled by your relationship with Christ. Yes, so one of my, Favorite Bible passages is Galatians 5:22-23, the fruit of the spirit. I love it because when I actively came into God, when I came into Christianity, one of the most important um, sermons I heard a lot was transformation. How it was, how transformation was important. How you are no longer this old person and you are a new person born. You have been translated into a new kingdom. You have been translated into a new system. So you have to begin to learn how this system operates. You have to begin to learn the attributes and the features and the fruit of this new kingdom. So for me, when I embarked on that journey and I began to actively develop myself spiritually, develop myself physically, Galatians 5 and 2 was that passage that was always, I always used it to measure my life. And most, the first, um, the first fruit, or no, the fruit, because you said the fruit of the spirit is love. So when I've come to learn that the fruit is love, but the other eight, other eight attributes that were mentioned alongside are basically um, um, a fruit of the main fruit. And the main, yes, that's why I see it. I see all of that as the fruit of the main fruit, and the main fruit is love. And love is at the foundation of our of our Christianity, love is at the foundation of our relationship with God. From the foundation of the world, the world was formed as a result of love. God loved humans. God wanted people to commune with. God needed people who was, they were, that were going to be an expression of his love as a result of that he made humans. Even when we disobeyed our fell, we also saw how God was able to extend his love to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and still up to when Christ came. So for us as humans, we, as humans who have become Christians that have been translated into a new kingdom, we have been called to love people. We have been called to be an expression of God and God is basically love. It's in the Bible that God is love and you can't forgive a person if you don't have your ch if, if you're not connected to the channel of love, you're not connected to love as a person. Love, a lot of times, we, we often mistake it to be a phenomenon or a feeling, but a person. And as people who are coming to relationship with Christ, we are, we are not connected to that person who is love. 
And because we are not made in his image and his likeness, we are also loved beings. We are loved. So whatever we do, even forgiveness should not stand from a place of resentment. It should stand from a place of love, knowing that, okay, this person that hurts me, yes, this person hurts me, but this person was secreted by God and God is still looking for an opportunity to bring him back home. Because there has to be a fallen person or someone who has missed the mark, who would hurt anyone. So I have to realize that I'm a love being and one of the ways I express my loveness or one of the ways I express the love that God deposited in me is basically to forgive other persons. So that's, that's why I say forgiveness is impossible without love. You won't be able to forgive actively that forgiveness where you, you see the person and you don't want to hurt the person. You still see the person and you no longer want to retaliate. And also you that forgiveness that you've gotten to that point where you no longer feel damaged or you no longer feel terrible. You've become whole because your father is a potter and you're basically the clay and he's in the active service of molding us back to shape. So that forgiveness is the whole the forgiveness I talk about is that type where you are no longer affected. This has happened, but God has reshaped you, He has molded you back to your original identity. And you are now aware that that thing that happened, the abuse that happened, no, long, no longer has power to define you. It no longer has power to make you see yourself as someone who is below God's original design. So that forgiveness for me is fueled by love and is very, very possible, 100% possible. 100% possible. So I'm calling us into that level of relationship with God, that level of koinonia, that communion with God where we realize that we are channels and God is giving us as avenues to reach humanity. And then people will hurt us when they do. How we respond to hurtful situations is an expression of who our allegiance lies, um, who our allegiance is connected to. God or Satan. I hope I've been able to cover all I intended to cover. So I don't know, are there questions? Hello. Yep, thank you so much, Ma. Thank um you. yeah. Pekila, did you have something to say or yes, I actually want to appreciate Maureen for being part of this. Very grateful, very, very grateful. I have certain questions I would want to ask. Thank you so much. Yeah, so um, how somebody will be asking curiously now, how did you transition to this point? Because, I mean, this is something that has happened. And yeah. according to the story you've told us, it didn't happen once, right? No, it didn't. Yeah, and so... Someone might even have had this kind of experience just once, and the yeah. pain they're still struggling with the healing process. But you are here, you have gone through this experience twice, and you're already yeah. home, bringing people out of the pit. So, how did you get here? I'm so curious. Can you share with us? Thank you. Okay. So, for I believe that usually, yeah. The most important revelation any human being must come to is their, their identity in God. Because it forms the lens where which you judge life experiences. So if you understand that you're connected to God and there's a big picture 
that what we are doing here is not all there is about life. Okay, having that understanding of where your identity is connected to helps you navigate through some of these challenges. And also having a sense of purpose, knowing that, okay, this life, we've not been called into a perfect life without pain, without trauma, without some of these unpleasant circumstances. So identifying God, a sense of purpose, knowing that we're on a journey. And on this journey, a lot of things will happen. So when those things eventually do happen, you have to have someone you fall back to, someone you want to, to unburden. Because these things, right now, it might be sounding like it's easy, but in the face of the situation, in the face of the abuse, it's usually not easy. But having that understanding that you have someone to, it's like, you know, when, you, when I was younger, let me paint a scenario, it's going to help. When I was younger, we used to go fetch water. So we fetch water from either a well or a tap. I would usually carry a tiny bucket. And when I carry a tiny bucket to my small bucket of water, I fetch it and I go back home. There's a larger drum that I have to pour that thing into. That my tiny bucket of water. So I know that whenever these things happen, whenever this trauma happens, I quickly go back to God and say, yeah, this one has happened, come and carry it. Because if you said you're my God, you say you're my father, you also promised me that you, you, you will let me carry this burden alone. So when it happens, I always go back to God. I say, God, please, come and help me deal with this one because it's becoming a distraction to what I'm supposed to be doing for you. Because when some, when these things happen, they're basically distractions to what you're doing with God. So I always go back to God because God, God come and take it. So I, I do that in the place of prayer. And then um, I love wash. I love music. Music is a very... It's very therapeutic for me. So I have a collection of songs I listen to, I play. And the more I listen to them, I don't listen to them absent-mindedly. I listen to them intentionally, paying attention to the lyrics. Because I know for every song I play, for every lyric I pay attention to, it has a way of rewiring my mind. Okay? So music, gospel songs specifically, not random songs. I play a lot of gospel songs. So gospel songs are some of the things that help me. And then journaling, I write a lot because I, I, I normally, more in a record, the more in a record of 2014, 2015, would not be talking like this, talking about her story. I won't be sharing my experience. I won't even be in the public eye. I'm not very, I'm, I'm a very private person. I'm an introvert. I'm shy. And I say a lot of persons don't agree, but I am. So a lot of times what I do, I journal. So I pour out everything on pen and paper. I have, I have notebooks, I have journals, I have pens. So I pour them out on pen and paper. So I realized that the more I write, the more it's like I'm removing layers and layers of pain. I'm removing layers and layers of trauma. I'm removing layers and layers of whatever life experiences have hit me. So journaling is very important for me. And then I also do something I call dance therapy. So Whenever I feel, or when these experiences happen, dancing, in, even when you're crying, not happy dance, but dancing in anticipation of the hope and the healing that you're expecting. I don't know how to explain, but I call it dance therapy, where I'm hurting, I'm crying. I know I'm deeply hurt, but I know that I have a living God. So is that belief in God, in that, that belief in the ability of God to heal me that pushes me to dance. 
So that dance for me is more like, you know, when you dance, you sweat. So the more I dance, the more I sweat, the more I know that, okay, the dancing, I'm shaking off the pain. I'm shaking off the trauma. I'm shaking off all of these things. So these are some of the things I, I do. Then I also um, actively embark on a lot of neural exercises. That's what I call it. So one of the things rape or sexual abuse seeks to do for to its victims is basically rob them of their self-identity, rob them of their self-image, rob them of their self-worth. And that I suffered that for a long time until I began to actively work on it. So one of the things I constantly did was to begin to look at myself with a different eye. It now boils down to what I talked about, identity. So first, I had to search through the Bible for what God said about me, what God said about his children. So I actively had to write those Bible passages out, okay? And I began to personalize them for myself. So for every time I see any amazing thing or any prophecy or any beautiful, um, I call them love letters that God writes to his children, anyone that resonates with me, I personalize it and I take it. I write it out of the Bible and I write it in my journal. Or sometimes I even write them out on stickers and place them around my wall in my room when I used to live alone. I'll place it in my room. So whenever I, anywhere I turn in the room, I'm seeing it. Whenever, anywhere I turn, I'm seeing it. And then and when I have these Bible passages, yeah, I would always go in front of the mirror and I would look at all of these things I did not like about myself. There were lots of things I didn't like about myself. I didn't like my voice. I didn't even like my face. I didn't even like the fact that my body was big, the weight was big. But all of these things were as a result of that experience. So I would actively look at myself in the mirror and begin to affirm myself based on what I've come to learn about my identity in God. Because I've, I learned that the way to replace every negativity is to replace it with a, with a positive. And the most powerful affirmation I had to replace whatever negative thoughts or ne whatever negative feelings I had about myself was to research positive ones that came from my maker, God, and actively replace it. So constantly, you see me confessing some of these passages. You see me saying them to myself out loud. Even up to now, I still do it because that's how I am sustained a lot of times. So I would stand in front of the mirror. I would take cognizance of this of the, of my personality. I would look at my I would look at my eyes. I'll look at my nose, look at my body, and begin to take them in. I begin to affirm myself and remind myself that there's a reason God made me the way he made me. So irrespective of the experience, irrespective of the trauma, irrespective of how I feel, I must make sure I don't define myself based on my, my, my pain. I make sure I did not define myself based on my experience. I, I had to, to find, I had to intentionally define myself by who God said I was. And then the importance of community is also something that helped me actively. I was not, when it happened initially, the first time I couldn't tell anyone, but somewhere along the line, I had to open up to my stepmom, who eventually told my dad, who eventually told the event, the, all the family members. But when the rape happened in 2016, that I was not alone. I had friends, I had loved ones, I had church members. Oh God, my church. King's Assembly, Port my friends in the King's Assembly were amazing. They were always available. A lot of times, they wouldn't let me stay at home. So they would say, carry your bag, come and stove at my place. They were always available. They were always praying. They were always helping me form new memories. 
Okay, so and then prayers were made, there were constant calls, how you feeling, you're not feeling all right, okay, you have to open up or don't be quiet about it. So and then I played, the mature I played. Okay, I had that um strong community of people, loved ones, family who were always there to make sure I don't go into my shell. And of course I had to take it very personal too. I had to take it I had to talk. Because a lot of times, what this abuse does, it shuts your mouth. It makes you look like you're damaged. It makes you begin to see yourself in a different way. Even seeks to take away your voice. And God gave us our unique voices for a reason. So when when I realized that there's power in speaking, but the question is, what are you? What are you? What's coming out of your mouth? If you're constantly regretting the fact that you're a damaged person, you're hurt, you're going to keep betting that same experience. You're going to keep talking. You're still going to keep reproducing the pain and the trauma because you, you, you don't have a positive thing to think about. So when I realized the power of talking, I had to focus on reframing the experience the way I wanted to tell the story. So instead of talking about my experience from the standpoint of a victim, from a standpoint of a broken person, I learned it was better, way better and more powerful to talk about it from the standpoint of a survivor who, yeah, who realized that, yeah, this thing has happened, but I'm not defined by it. In fact, I'm basically going to ride on it and do something beautiful to help other people. So I actively talked about it. I was not quiet. I talked about it everywhere. Without, oh, initially, I, I still had that reservation. The stigmatization was there. The fear of what people would say was there. But of course, I always have to remember that I have a God who has taken all of that. So if people get to shame me or if humans get to stigmatize against me, I can always go back to God. I can always go back to my guide. The Holy Spirit has always constantly helping me. Okay, then I also thought it was important to find an opportunity to channel the pain, channel the trauma into some, doing something productive, something beautiful to help the next person. So when I saw myself, I remember earlier I said, God is the chief server and I'm, 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 I'm the waiter. So when I saw myself as a waiter, when these experiences come, a lot of times we quickly want to run away from them. We quickly want to erase them. But because you have, and if you have, if you have an understanding of God to a particular level, when the experience is come, you begin to dissect it, you begin to find out, okay, if this is happening to me, then I'm not the only one it is happening to. It's also happening to a lot of persons. If I'm able to handle it, if I'm able to not let it affect me so much, a lot of persons are not as strong as I am. So the question of service now comes into play. So how do I put myself in that place? How do I put myself in that equation where when I receive the grace and the strength from God, I can borrow my strength to the next person so they'll, they'll, be, they'll be able to heal. So I was able to see myself as a middle woman who was basically collecting strength from God to share to the next person. So that is what is at the back of my mind. That is what at the foundation of what I do in my organization. I'm just a middle woman who is helping other victims who have not seen themselves as survivors, who are still on the journey of healing and recovery. So borrow strength from God for them to go through their healing and recovery. So these are some of the things I did that helped me to get to this point. It's not just one thing. It's, and it didn't happen overnight. 
It was a journey, it was a long stretch for me. But one, I am very grateful to God that has given me the grace to go through. Thank you so much, Maureen. That's really profound. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have a question as well. How does, like, when, when this happens here, yeah, how does one deal with that feeling of, feeling of betrayal by God? You know, like, how do you deal with those questions? Like, God, you were there and you let this happen. Why did you let it happen? I know you've already said something before about, um, you know, because of the world that we live in, unpleasantness is, you know, should I say bound to happen. But how does one really deal with that? Like, when it keeps nudging, do you forgive God? I mean, does what well, I don't know. I never heard of forgiving God before. But yeah, what what, what tips would you give to someone? Forgive God. Oh really? Yes. As okay. far as I'm concerned, you can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um when it happened, when did it happen? One of the questions I asked God, a lot of times people say don't ask God why. But I'm not that very, I'm not that, I don't obey rules like that. So when it happened the first time, first question I asked God was why? Why did you, why did you have to let it happen? My story is, my, the story of how my happened is even very funny because a night to the day the rape happened, I was actually planning on starting an advocacy against sexual abuse. Okay. It happened on the 15th. I had made a call. I needed, I said I needed a graphic designer. Based on the experience I had as a sexual abuse survivor, I wanted to spearhead an organization. The municipal abuse actually that was going to help victims of sexual abuse. Because as I then I had not experienced rape. But shortly five hours or five to ten hours into when I made the announcement, the rape happened. I'm like, God, why did you let this happen? I, I was angry. I felt the way I felt. I, I felt, okay, God, the same way Jesus felt on the cross. Why, why, have, why has that forsaken me? I felt that. But there's a Bible passage that kept coming to my mind. I, I was crying all through, but Romans 8, 28. That is why it's also good to have scriptures. It's also good to have scriptures memorized. So Romans 8.28 was one particular Bible verse that always came true for me. So I kept saying to myself, all things work together for good. To them that love God, who are called according to his purpose, all things work together. So if, if the Bible says all things work together, even this year is going to work together. This, I was doing this quizzing alone. I was asking myself, so that means even this year now, it's also all things that's going to work together for my good. So how is God going to use it? But why did he let it happen in the first place? So I felt all of that question. But I learned that it happens, it happens. Human beings are human beings. And a lot of times, a lot of times, we can't control choices made by humans. And as much as God can control, God, we say God controls the world, but he also gives us the power of will. He also gives us the power of choice. If a human being, chooses to hurt you a lot of times. I, I just believe that sometimes God just will sit in heaven and I will just look at them. Leave this one. Based on, based on her level of training, she can handle it. So let the devil try. So the devil will basically try 
and then God is still going to look for a way. He look for it. God knows that you have the ability to rise to it. God knows that this is the journey that you're going through. That you put, you put, probably will be able to see how you'll be able to use it to help the next person. And God is not, one of the things that I learned that God is not afraid of being at the receiving end of my anger. Okay, so if I'm angry, I have to let him know, Baba, I'm angry. Why did you let this happen? If I feel betrayed, I have to let him know, Baba, you betrayed me. Why did you let this happen? So a lot of times we, we, we always want to shoot God from our backlash. We always want to shoot God from our anger. We want to shoot God from letting God know that we feel betrayed. But basically, if you're actively, intentionally open with God, you will be able to open up to God when you feel that you're betrayed. A lot, for a lot of persons, they feel betrayed and they, they, they don't talk to God for a long time. They don't even bother praying. But I know the Holy Spirit is always available, always hoping to help us navigate through the process. So when you feel that way, remember, it's difficult, but you have to come as much as possible to remember that if we didn't die from that situation, ah, you can always rise and God has a purpose. But the question, you have to always go back to ask him, so what's the purpose? So what can we do with this? How do we help other persons? And then for, if you focus too much on yourself, so one of one other thing I learned was if you focus too much on me, why me, why me, why me? For a long time, you're going to remain a victim. For a long time, you're going to remain hurt. For a long time, you're going to feel very betrayed. Because in that equation, you're always thinking about why me, why me. But if you also think about the fact that God was also hurt, that you are being hurt. Having that at the back of your mind, you know that, ah, okay. He's sharing this thing, but human beings did what they do. Okay. And also thinking about the fact that, okay, this man is not totally about me. There are other persons who might be suffering this thing. So when I'm able to go through my healing and recovery process, let me see how I'll be able to help the next person. So these are some of the things you can actively do when you feel you're being betrayed. And you have to go back to scripture. You have to go back to opening up, opening. Letting people know what people who um not every not not everyone, but you have to look for people who understand your struggle, who understand this um, the trauma you're going through, who will not judge you down to your grave, who will not say, How about why are you being too angry? A lot of persons are like that. But you have to look for people who are actively there for you, who are there to help you through the healing process. you letting him know you feel betrayed so if if you feel betrayed let him know you have to be real if you have if you really want to go through the healing process you have to really be real with god even when you feel like because of this thing has happened i no longer want to have anything to do with god even if you decide to take take a few steps away from god he's basically always there watching you he knows that truly you're angry but through the, um, the help of the Holy Spirit is going to help you navigate and bring you back home. None of that. So for me, I didn't feel, I felt it slightly, but Bible passages and people around me did not let me go too far away from God when it happened. So. Yeah, thank, thank you, Maureen. 
while you were away, Pelumi had a question. Pelumi, do you mind asking uh, her? No, I was just, I couldn't hear you properly. So I just know that, did you, did you say you were sexually abused just before you were about to start um, victims of sexual abuse or something? Okay, so I, on um, first I was abused when I was about, like I said, when I was about 11. So I, was start, I was supposed to start the advocacy, helping other victims of sexual abuse not rape, I was supposed to start helping other victims, working with sexual abuse victims on the 15th of November, okay? okay. I made yeah. a post online requesting for graphic designers because I needed someone to design a logo for what I wanted to start. So okay. a graphic designer actually sent in the graphics at about 1.15 a.m., but I was sick that day. And when he sent it in, I, I told him we we're going to talk the next day. So I stopped chatting with him. 15, okay. 20 minutes after I stopped chatting with him, that was when I got raped. I'm like, oh, what is the devil trying to do? So the devil is trying to stop me from doing something I had, I, I, me and God had a, had a conversation about. Okay. Uh, okay. So um, it was like, okay, this is a test. A higher test. So, okay, so if you abuse earlier, it didn't stop you. Let's try to use that's why I saw it. So the devil wanted to use sexual abuse and uh, rape to actually stop me from doing what I wanted to do. But it was too late because I had a different level of understanding. So when I when that happened, I was like, oh no, we're not going to wait anymore. Let's go. This guy is actively in the service of damaging people. So let's fight. So okay. And also I have a question. Um have you ever, after like that incident happened, did you ever, how did you like deal with, because you said you're forgiving and you're forgiving, but how yeah. did you deal with like seeing the person again, or maybe if you have seen the person again or no, how do you deal, like how do you deal with that? Okay. The first case was an uncle of mine. That uncle of mine is still very alive. We still talk. Whenever I go visiting the family house, I see him. He still calls me every once in a while to say, how are you doing? And all of that. So initially, when, after I left the house, when it happened, when, when I left the house, I always used to feel anger. I always used to feel, whenever I see him, that resentment rises up. But it got to a point when I see him, I no longer feel that anger. I no longer feel that revenge. I no longer feel that sense to hurt him or do something to him. So I constantly was checking my heart to get to gauge how I was doing on that part of forgiveness. Because I learned that forgiveness is like it's measured in, in, in meters for me. It's measured in meters. If I've risen up to like a certain inch, that means okay, I still see him. Uh, I, I feel like I no longer want to see him. Okay. I'm like, okay, I've risen, I no longer want to hurt him, but right now I just do not want to see him. Once I got comfortable seeing him, I'm no longer feeling any, um, not feeling that need to hurt him or not feeling that need to want to do something to him. So that's when I knew that I had totally forgiven the uncle. But the rapist guy, I've never seen him, but because after then the policeman caught a couple of guys and they asked me to come to the police station to come check if I, if I knew, if I was going to know them. But the house, my house my, was dark the day they came in. I won't be able to see anybody. I won't be able to recognize anybody. 
and God had expressly told me to let it go. So I figured it would be me disobeying God if I kept going back and forth with the, poli with the policemen, going to check if these were the guys and all of that. So I've settled that in my heart. So if they suffice tomorrow, if probably the guy comes up, because there were, the, the, were about two of them, one of them raped my friend and warned me. So if they eventually come up today and say, oh, okay, I'm the guy who raped you, because I know I intentionally dealt with forgiveness with God, I know I'm no longer going to be hurt. In fact, I pray for him now. I, I, I always pray that God should help him. I always pray that because I know that it has to take a certain form of mental instability for someone to actually rape someone at gunpoint. So I pray for him that he should come to Christ. So any day he comes to meet me, the only thing I want to find out if, if, is if he, if he has actually come to Christ. Because I know that God is going to deal with him in any way God is going to deal with him. But it's no longer in my power to either hurt him or to do anything to him. But I don't wish, I don't wish hurt on him. Whenever I think about it, whenever I think about him, I, I do not feel like this guy, something should happen to him. Because basically, I've, at this point, I've given it all over to Jesus. However, Jesus wants to deal with it. If Jesus wants to bless him and make him the president, that's with Jesus. If Jesus wants to do anything to him, that's on Jesus. It's no longer, no longer in my power. So that's how it is for me now. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Um, Isaac has a question. Isaac, if you want to go ahead, please. Hello, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Isaac. Okay, first of all, my question is like this Are we actually contradicting, like, the topic? Is the topic contradicting? Suffer so not the wish to leave. And also, second mm, question, yeah. how does suffer, so, okay, can we relate suffer so not the wishes to leave to this, our topic or our case study today? That's just my two questions. Okay, so I love the Bible. Can we please find um, where so far, not the witch is in the Bible. Let me pick up my Bible. Let's do a little, a little bit of Bible study. Let's see what the context Jesus was talking about when he said, so far, not the witch to leave. And then we also have to know who is a witch and who is a rapist and all of that. Can we do that? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So let me pick up my Bible. Please, Isaac, help us with the Bible passage. Where is it? Let me pick up my Bible. Um, I'm actually, <clears throat> I'm actually found it. Is that? It's I Exodus. found, yeah. Exodus 22, verse 18. Exodus 22, 18. 22, 18. Okay, so... If so in Exodus, who was talking? I think Moses. I think it's Moses that was giving um the um, this plenty plenty things to the children of Israel, yeah? Yes, that's right. 
and okay so i thought it was possible to read about two or three verses before the particular verse to see there's a connection so i'm trying to read 16 to see if there's any connection oh actually 16 says and if a man enters a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her shall surely endow her to be his wife and if her father utterly refused to give her unto him he shall pay money according to the diary of the virgin thou shall not suffer a witch to live i've basically not studied this verse in relation to rape and sexual abuse but i know that i would not be quick to call a rapist a witch because there's a reason the Bible uses the word witch. And a witch is basically, I wish my other phone is here to check the meaning of witch. Please, Isaac, help us. What's the, what's the, can you help us check what, who a witch is based on um, what Google is saying or a dictionary around? Mine is a bit far. Hello. All right. Um, let me check it out. But can you still be talking while I'm checking it out? I'm also checking another Bible verse. I'm waiting for you. Okay. Yes, sir. So while we're waiting for, like Isaac said, while we're waiting for Isaac, I also went to Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. Verse 20, <clears throat> where Bible was talking about the works of the flesh. And one of the works of the flesh mentioned after idolatry is witchcraft. And one of the, as I'm waiting for the definition of witch and witchcraft. Okay. From Isaac, um, um, first definition of a witch. Um, okay. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as a female sorcerer or magician. It, okay. Or someone who casts a spell over someone or something put their okay. x on someone or something then the third okay. definition is a being usually female imagine to have special powers derived from the devil okay fourth definition a believer in wicca fifth okay. definition an ugly evil looking old woman yeah okay <laughs> Okay, so the first one says um, someone who cast a spell over someone, and I believe no, it, that casting is. Um, the first one is a female sorcerer or magician. The second one is okay. someone who casts a spell. Cast a spell over someone, and the intention there's before you, um, the, anyone uh, decides to cast a spell over someone, there's an intention. Yeah. Abi, there's an intention. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, be quick to to call a rapist a witch. I wouldn't be quick to do that because um, when the Bible was talking about the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 20, 
1920, also after idolatry, he also said witchcraft is also a work of the flesh. So from my from my end, yeah, I wouldn't say that that passage of suffer not the witch to live. I wouldn't say it applies to a rapist. I basically say a rapist as someone who also needs help. So that's why a lot of times when people talk about castration, okay, yes, I'm not I'm not a fan of castration. I feel that person needs a lot of mental mental um, rehabilitation. So I just see, I see them first as people who have mental issues, even if they're sane, but there's been a fall in, in their mental capacity. In psychology, you usually talk about the levels, levels of uh, what's this now, what this? So some people are called idiots, some persons are called imbeciles and all of that. So in, because I have a background in that, I once you're not using your mind, you're not, you're not using your will, and power of choice to actually do what you're supposed to do and use it to subvert other people's power or authority. I actually feel there's something wrong with you. You need to be mentally rehabilitated. So you actually see the power of what you have, which is um, your mind. So I, I won't be quick to say, suffer not to be rapist, not to live. Maureen. Um, yes. I would also like to throw more light to you, but you see, mm. you know that it's not everyone who is like you. You know okay. everyone who went through what you went through and still can talk freely and everything. So by mm -hmm. you traumatizing someone, some people mm. go through depression, some people even commit suicide mm -hmm. from their experiences. So, mm -hmm. what will you call a person who needs someone commit suicide or who um, traumatized someone? What will you mm. call that person? Okay, first things first, um, I believe that if we give this, this, what I'm about to say might sound like um, I, I'm being very insensitive. But a lot of times when people do things to us, we always assume they, that they have total control of the situation. Yes, a person can hurt someone, but we also have the power of how you handle it. You get. So if you're raped or if you're sexually abused, yes, that person has done something very grievous to you. But then you, you also have power, you also have will that should be developed. So a lot of times people who fall into that category of, or after I've been raped or after I've been sexually abused and I can't take it and I get to that point where I have to commit suicide. I, I'm not going to say I blame, I'm, I'm not going to say I blame them, but it's just a statement to say that, okay, this person has not developed so much to that point where they can actually handle life experiences. So I won't totally say the, the abuser or the person who hurts the person has 100% control, and then the, the one who was offended, the one who was abused, has zero, zero um, power. At least you have a certain level of um, power to respond, or power to heal, or power to know how you handle that situation. You can be hurt. But a lot of times, because we have not gotten to a point where we actually do develop ourselves, how we develop our mind, develop our power, and our resolve, people's threshold, yeah, that's the word, 
people's threshold for handling experiences are different. And that's not as a result of external circumstances. It's, it's, it's an individual development journey's um, decision. If, if something might happen to me and happen to you, the same thing, but the way you're going to handle it might not be the same way I'm going to handle it. That's as a result of our threshold. And our threshold is our sole responsibility to develop. Okay, so one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us is to actually develop our threshold. That's why when they throw something at you the first time, when you are able to chest it, you, you've, you've gained a, let, a, a little bit of power over that thing. So when they throw it the next time, it's not going to hurt you as it hurts you the first time. But because we're not actively on the journey of developing our mental capacity, when things hit us, it takes us to that point where we respond or we act without even calculation or without thinking or without processing the situation. That's I so a lot of times people will just say, okay, this person did this thing that cost this person to do this thing. But they can do that thing to yet another person and that other person they did it to will not respond the same way person A responded. And all of that boils down to threshold, your level of development, and how you're able to handle things that are thrown at you. So that's why it's, it's a, for me, that's why I usually do not force some of my opinions on people because I know it's a dicey situation. So it's dicey discussion. That's why when they say let's talk about forgiveness, it's usually dicey for people because a lot of times we do not want to take responsibility for our own response. We do not want to take responsibility for our, our own healing. We do not want to take responsibility for how we react or how we respond when people offend us or when people hurt us or when people do things to us that they should not do. So that's why a lot of conversations about how to punish a rapist or how to punish an abuser, so far the wish not to live, I usually try to take the backseat because thresholds are different. I know I can't tell people to act a certain way, but that's why I am more of an advocate of not as much as I'm saying people should not hurt people. I'm also advocating that people should also develop themselves mentally, develop their thresholds to handle life because life will happen. I don't know if I got my just think um my if I passed across my opinions no, lightly. No, Maureen, yeah, you agree with me that there's no excuse whatsoever that anyone can make for sexually yeah. abusing someone. Of first course, you've first you've taken away the pride of that person. I agree. And some use devil as an excuse. But I've come to un understand and realize that even our friends, nobody make those do what we do. Nobody's, nobody's responsible for our actions. They only gave us options. The devil gives options. He gives alternatives. Mm. You are the one that makes the decision. You are the one that makes the action. Mm. The, um, the devil can just tell you, do this. If you do mm -hmm. this, it's going to work out. But mm -hmm. directly, you're the one doing it. So there's mm -hmm. no excuse whatsoever that anyone, mm -hmm. anyone can give me for sexually abusing somebody. Mm -hmm. That that's a very very big crime. Like I, I've been listening since, but I can't mm -hmm. seem to get my head around it. Like get my head over yeah. it that someone sexually abuse someone and yeah 
you're telling me to for it's hard it's very very hard but i'm still wondering how you go over it though but for okay, me, so for me it's very very hard no I, i'm telling you yeah i know i i understand forgiveness is very deep the word is very simple but it's, yeah. deep. it's deeper than any yeah. of us here think because mm. you have to let go you have to learn to trust the person again and wish you can't you don't have it's, to trust the person again Isaac. is no for me to actually be discussing with you or for me to sit in a meeting with you because um that incident could get me irritated anytime i see you i won't want it to doesn't mean you trust the person or wait sir can i come i think it's Oh, so I think you said let's say you see your uncle again are you like scared that he's going to like do the same thing again to you something like that If... No in as much as I know that that tendency is there but at least I I won't consciously put myself in a situation where something like that might occur again I'll be a fool to trust him again just because they said forgive it doesn't mean you have to trust the person again trusting the person again is is risky Well, you can forgive and set your boundaries and say okay this person once bitten 25 times shy and not trust the person to uh, to even have that um power or the opportunity to do something like that again but more in do you believe in when you said do, do you believe in forgive and forget no you can't forget that's that when they, when they say forgive and forget that's a lie because i think you should have the thing you have am- amnesia you get so when they say forgive and forget what i understand by that forgive and forget is forgive this person but whenever you think about it do not think about the pain that is tied to that experience that's that's my understanding of forgive and forget so when you tell me forgive and forget what i uh, what i'm hearing you say is this thing forgive this person when you think about this you know when you think about this person it should no longer come with pain anymore so what you're forgetting is supposed to be the pain and the trauma or the revenge and all of those negative emotions that come as a result of that not necessarily forgetting the experience if you forget the experience you that means you you basically have to go in for trauma and um, you have to go in for therapy because somehow you have shut down that experience okay and it's not healthy for you to shut down your experience that be you living in denial for a long time so i don't believe in forgive and forget so i've i've why i did based on my own understanding of what forgive and forget means so i don't believe in that and then also when you talked you said when someone rapes someone they take the, their pride away that's also one thing i'm struggling with okay that's also one thing i'm struggling with i this Like I said, some of these things are my personal conviction, so I don't push it down people's throat. My pride is not tied to my vagina. Hello. So if you rape, you just show me how much of a demented person you are. So because I know my pride is not tied to my vagina, I'm not going to I'm not going to feel, I'm going to feel bad that you took um, that you did what you did. I'm going to feel bad that you sexually abused me, but I won't beat myself down that my pride has been stolen or that you took my pride away. I wouldn't do that. But of course that's not that for everyone. A lot of persons I we are, we the one of the, the narrative is when the sexual abuse they take your pride away. 
me, I, I, I have a, a different opinion and people have, um, people have the liberty of having their individual opinion. Then you also talked about alternative, um, that the devil, the devil will give you scenarios and you'll be the one to make the decision based on that alternative that the devil gave you. The same thing applies to God. God also gives you scenarios and you are also expected to respond. You are expected to act based on the scenario God has given to you. So yes, the devil gives people scenarios and they act upon it as a result of their own free will. God also gives you atonement and the power of choice and trust to heal, to forgive. And you also have to act on that as a result of your own free will. So the quite like that's why I said initially, all of this in boils or boils down to who you are responding to. Devil has given you and devil gives um abusers and rapists this alternative and they choose to act on it. That's fine. They will receive their judgment. God is a just God. And as much as God said, I should not um, revenge, I should not hurt, I should leave vengeance for him. It does not mean God in his own, in his own wisdom, his own righteousness is not going to judge that person. But God is saying, I should not take yours into my hands. I should let it go. Okay, so the devil will give you alternative and then you act on it. God will also give you an opportunity for you to heal and to forgive. So if, you, if the devil gives his people his, their own um, situations to act upon, God is also giving his own children an opportunity to act upon their own will based on what they know about him. But the question is a lot of times we understand that people do not, people have a choice when they are acting, when they are hurting us. But we also fail to, we, we all fail to also understand that God also gives us choice for us to actually forgive people. But we usually know that these people acted of the their own will and their free will. Yeah, they should be punished for it. But we should also know that God also gives us choice too to actually forgive. A lot of persons are not for, have not forgiven who hurts them. And that's between them and God. That's between them and their personal journey. But I believe that there's a level of um, there's a level that you and God will be doing business, and there's a level your your relationship will get to God because you want to feel very light. Forgive unforgiveness is a baggage. I learned the hard way. It's a baggage. I carried it for a long time. It affected my academics, affected my relationship, affected my life, affected even my relationship with God. Until I learned to drop that baggage and, and pick up the light, the lightweight of just knowing that God, I leave this in your hands. It's not easy talking about forgiveness. It's not easy saying this person abused you, this person hurt you, forgive them 100%. It's not easy, but that's where God's ability is made perfect. That is in our weakness, is in our inability. That's where God's power finds strength. The first question is just let it chill. Give God that power, give God that opportunity to actually help you through that process. Sugar is not easy. But at least you have to give God permission to actually help you through the healing process. But a lot of times we don't. A lot of, a lot of times we choose to focus 100%. It's not like you won't focus on the pain. It's not like you won't think about the pain. It's not like you won't think about the hurt. You can think about it. You can brood over it. But you should get to a point where you now tell God, God, okay, come and help me on this journey. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it all by myself. Bible said our strength 
is made um, and God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's the same way God's healing is made perfect in our broken state. But we have to actually give him permission to give us that healing. We have to give him permission to actually make that strength available. Isaac. Okay, well, I'm still, I'm still chewed by your forgiveness. Like, it's really, 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 really inspiring, though. I must say, you're really a strong woman. Me, I'm, I'm a man. not. I'm not a strong woman. No, no, I'm, I'm just no. telling you, you're, you're strong. No, I know, Isaac, I am not. For you, for you, I'm I a man, no. but I can't I let go strength. if I'm... If I'm sexually I, abused, I will. Ne- I'm telling you, I will never let. I I don't know. I. Isaac, um, I'm sorry. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sorry. Hi. Let me. So I'm there speaking. Can I, I just know. add something? Like because the, the scene okay. playing the incident all over again. So I don't know how to put it, but. Isaac, I think um, there's something to understand, strength in God. Because yeah. individuals, we may not be strong to forgive, but if sure. you trust God and you rely on God, he will give you that strength. You, you, me, like, yes, I agree with you, yes. Me, I will not forgive. She has, I'm sure Maroon will, will not forgive, but is that strength, that grace in God, when God says forgive and let go, you have yeah. no choice. You have no choice but yeah. to forgive and let go. So it's not about her. It's, it's how yeah. God wanted the forgiveness to happen. So it's how God wanted it. It's how God spoke to her in that situation. So yeah. it's not about human strength. Yes, human yeah. strength and human decision is a no. Uh, that Because that, rape is an unforgivable or almost an unforgivable thing. But with God, everything is forgivable. So, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Jerry. All right, I agree with you, Bellamy. Thank you, Abby. Please, Bellamy. Yeah. But I shall agree with you. The will of God has to be done. Some things have to happen for the will of God to be actualized. But yeah. I, it's really hard, I must say. I know, very, very, I know, very, very, I understand. Very, very because forgiveness understand. is very, very deep. It's something that has to do with your psychology, um, um, your mental health. Like, if me only, only for someone to falsely accuse me of something, I'm already angered. I hate false accusations. So yeah. you now molesting me you now sexually ah jesus christ <laughs> but, <laughs> i understand isaac but it's really 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 deep yeah but the will of god has to be done that's just that's just my conclusion and I think that I think that one one of the most important um, requirements I'm going to give is um, you see uh, the way God's strength is is not some is not something you have to have as a head knowledge it's something you have to experience 
And where you experience it is by actually engaging with God. One of the, um, I love the fact that I love the fact that um, Jacob wrestled, wrestled. How dare human being wrestle with an angel? But he did wrestle. So sometimes uh, you have to go to God. As I said, you shouldn't be scared to go to God and tell God, God, why did this happen? Have this conversation. So it's not going to happen overnight. You have to be able to tell God, like God, yeah, you want this journey. If you don't help me, I cannot help myself. So that's why I said of, of our own that, that there's no human strength that would, be, that would enable you to forgive anybody. Like, like Jerry said, human strength will not help you. It's only God's strength. But this God's strength we're talking about is not just something we're just telling you, okay, have uh, God's strength. No, you have, to, you have to outsource it from the Bible. You have to actively outsource it in the place of prayer. You have to out actively outsource it by asking God and asking God to help you. So you have to go, go to your Bible, live inside your Bible. You have to listen to sermons that talk about God, how God gives strength. Live inside, actively listen to sermons back to back, back to back. The more you feed your mind with God's word, the more strength is made available. The more you study the Bible, strength is made available for you to be able to handle and deal with situations. You get so yes, of your own human accord, you are looking at it from your own human strength. It's very impossible. It's very impossible. That's why I want people to say, Maureen, you're strong. I'm not. If if it's just Maureen Alika Haba, I know what I'm going to do. But I know that living inside the Bible, living with God, having that conversation with God is very important. When the Bible says the Holy Spirit is going to teach us all things, going to bring us into all truth. That thing is not just going to bring the truth and come and give it to you. You have to engage it. A lot of things are in the Bible. A lot of power, is, strength is made available in the Bible. A lot of possibilities made available in the Bible. But it's not in the written book as it is. It just, it's not just for you to carry the Bible and read it and think the strength is going to come. No. You have to engage it. You have to look at it. You have to meditate. Joshua won it. You have to meditate. You have to brood on it. You have to extract. That's one of the things I do with the Bible. As I see it, anyone. Is I will extract and I will I will look for I will have to extract the power that is backing up that word. That's the way the word of God is. The words are there. It's written in um, um, black and blue or red or anyone, but there's always a power that is that backs it up. So when you engage this word, when you live in it, you are extracting the power that is behind the word. So if strength is what you need then you have to start actively begin to research Bible passages that talk about God's strength that is made available unto you. Brood upon them, meditate upon them, and let the power of that strength begin to be at work in your life. Then it is from, from that overflow of what you're doing with God, from that overflow of the power that you have received, that you cannot give. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give forgiveness if you have not received forgiveness or if you have not extracted forgiveness from God's word. So that's why it's looking like it's difficult. But by the time you have an overflow of God's forgiveness, you can now freely give it. You can now give it knowing that your reservoir will never become empty. Your reservoir is God. He will always give you. And he's always available. I can, I can trust. I can say that God is readily available to make his strength available. But the question is, how deep are you willing to go? in extracting that power that God has given us in the Bible, in the place of strength. Okay. Okay, let's digress a little. Okay, Maureen, 
sir. Just look at it this way. Okay. You have a you have a daughter. Okay. You are not the one molested, yeah. Your daughter okay. was um molested by someone. Okay. And that incident led to uh she being in coma or being in trauma. Okay. Will you how will you um relate with that kind of incident too? Mm. I will cry. I will hurt. But trust me, a lot of times, all of these things, it's, it's going, it's look, it's, it will look very, it will look very difficult. Yeah? It's because it's a, it's a life or death situation, you'll be very offended, you'll be very hurt. But last, last, we are in this thing we are doing with God. Is that we are all in with God or we are all out without God? Is that you are all in with God? So for me, my one of the journey I am, I am with God. Is God? I want to be all in with you, so I don't interpret life experiences based on the lens of the pain and the trauma. So that's the journey I am on with God. That let God give me the grace to constantly interpret life experiences based on who God is. That way, I won't always judge things by my own feelings. I won't judge things by the way they look. So I would judge things by mainly the pain or saying that the fact that my daughter is in trauma should get. So it's going to be very painful. It's not forgiveness is not easy. It's not easy. It's not something you do overnight. But based on the relationship you have with God, based on how much you, based on what you know about God, that is the only thing that is going to see you through this situation. There are a lot of persons who have been killed, but God still gives them the strength to navigate it. There are a lot of persons who. Um, the, um, based on the rape that um, based on rape, a family member died, but still God has given God still gives strength and the ability for you to navigate. But the question is always, how deep are you willing to draw from God? So if such a situation happens, I'm not saying it's going to be easier. It's going to be painful. You will cry. You will decide you're not going to forgive anybody. But last, last, if you really want to do God. My brother, you will do God. Some people, God is, when you know that all you have is God, how you are going to relate with certain experiences will be different for someone who has option A and option B. Okay? So that's the journey I am on, having God as my only option and having to only interpret life experiences based on the lens of God's word and based on the righteousness, justice, and the goodness of God. That's the journey I am on. It's very interesting. And I'm inviting you into that journey too. I'm inviting you. It's deep. It's beautiful. It's, sometimes it's painful. But of course, it's with God. Um, can I quickly say something? Um, when I was just, I was finding it hard to understand as well, but then I realized that, because I remember someone said that forgiveness is for you is not for the other person because if you don't for like if you didn't forgive him the person that done the abuse would have moved on with his own life he would have yeah. you know continued with his now you used to be suffering you still in pain so at the end of yeah. the day it's what you lose you'll be winning i know it's hard to forgive but i'm just realizing that you if you don't forgive it's you that will be suffering for not forgiving why the other person is you know they've forgotten about it they've moved yeah. on so and i realize that even like 
let's say let's say without okay let's i know it's always good to put god but without putting being practical that if you don't forgive you're just going to be keep hurting yourself i'm not saying like it depends on it depends on the situation as well but most times yeah. I've, well, when i forgive about little things i always realize that it's me that being pain if i don't forgive because the person that moved on with their own life they'll be because they would have forgotten about what they did whereas me will be saying oh you you did this to me you know what i mean so yeah it so. depends on but it's not easy though <laughs> It's not, <laughs> not yeah true can i also add as well that um some i was reading today um mm. and i just want to say based on what Pelumi said sometimes they don't forget you know sometimes yeah. they live without guilt they live without pain so when we say you know that we should leave vengeance to god sometimes the vengeance is simply through i mean it seems simple but we all know how it is when we lost our peace of mind so sometimes mm-hmm. that's the case for them. They deal with that guilt. They deal with that, you know, they, they lose their peace of mind for, well, until they come to Christ anyway, because it's only Christ that can remove that guilt and shame. Yeah. Sometimes they resort yeah. to, um, which will lead me to another question, by the way. But yeah, sometimes okay. they resort to, um, you know, let's say drinking, for example, they drown themselves in that, trying to forget what they've done. You know, don't, sometimes don't. they end up, you know, you know, losing their own lives or something. And that's, that's that vengeance happening. So sometimes it's like, oh, I really want to snap this person's neck off because of what they've done to me. You see them going about, you know, maybe they have their own cars, they are rich, wealthy, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, but then they're really struggling. You don't know, you don't know at night, you know, they are struggling to sleep. Sleep yeah. they have eye bags. So, and <laughs> I think, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think whilst, whilst bodily pain is, whilst bodily pain is, um, it hurts. I think emotional yeah. pain to some extent, it might even hurt more because when yeah. you're going about, you look fine, but then you just have these weights on your chest. Um, ah, depression is bad. It's bad. <laughs> I think yeah. I think vengeance can happen to them in that way as well. Even though we don't see it, they might be battling with something in a, like on the inside like that. And yeah, which leads me to my question for you, Mrs. Maureen. Okay. Um, so okay. you talked about setting... Um, habits that you developed and certain conceptions that you try to should I say adopt mm. in order to mm. deal with it so what, what would you what advice would you give to someone who is ready to should I say go on this forgiveness journey but then they have already resorted to like um let's say drinking for example or I don't know some some unhealthy habits Habit. you know to deal with it how do they go, get out of these unhealthy habits yeah that's my question please thanks okay um i won't i won't start by telling them to stop those habits because okay. that would be me lying because if i say oh stop drinking that's not that's because <laughs> you can't do that of your own accord so you have to first of all take cognizance of what has happened mm. um i'm like i i'm a big fan of writing i'm a big fan of putting things down asking yourself questions so get a pen and a notepad all the time. Oh yeah, what is the life experience that has happened? You write it down. How did it happen? You write it down. Confront it. Confront everything. Write them. How do you feel? Write it. Label all the emotions that you feel. Don't run away from any of them. If possible, you can, if you can even you can ask people around you. So how um, how do you think I react or how am I? How do you perceive me? How do you see my emotions? Ask people these questions. Then label all of these emotions and begin to deal with them one after the other using the scriptures. So if this person is a Christian, of 
course, how I'm going to talk to a Christian is different from how I'm going to talk with someone who does not know God. But let's assume this person is a Christian. The only thing that is able to change a person is um, the only tangible power force that's able to change or cause transformation in the life of a person is the Holy Spirit. So when you've labeled all of these emotions, you've labeled, you've written down all of these things that you're feeling, the law of replacement has to set in. The law of replacement is where you have to look for positivity, scriptures, something that has more power to override the negative, the, the, the limiting forces and powers that, that already exist in your life. So since you've been able to liberate your emotion, if it is fear that you deal with, you know that the power that deals with fear is love. Then that means you have to outsource, begin to start outsourcing the love of God. Okay? If it is anger that you're dealing with, you have to start going to scripture to go and find out how to deal with anger. Of course, there's a part of the Bible that says be angry, but sin not. You have to research the Bible. So how does, how does, what does God say about anger? If what you're dealing with is now external habits like drinking, that, those ones, can, you can begin to, be, the Holy Spirit is going to be the person that's going to help you navigate through that. But you have to actually let him know that you need help. One of the things I've, I learned about the Holy Spirit that he's not, most of the times, he's not going to bypass your desire. If you actually want to stop drinking, you have to let him know that you want to stop drinking. That means before you want to stop drinking, you should have got it to a point where you know that drinking is not good for your health, it's detrimental, it does not make you think right. You have seen all of those things, and based on that, you now say, okay, and based on the fact that God has commanded that you should not drink, if, if you found that in the Bible, you now say, okay, I no longer want to drink. Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. The more of God you know, the more le the less of these things you will do. So the more the more you know God, the more you commune with God. Because a lot of these things die in the place of fellowship. A lot of these external factors, this um, drinking, it is um, becoming a lot of persons end up becoming hyper. They become hyperactive sexually. A lot of these things you can't start stop doing them on your own. The more your relationship with God grows, the more you begin to learn that some of these things are not supposed to be found in your life. And the Holy Spirit, you and the Holy Spirit together, begin to actively do away with these things gradually. And over time, before you know, you now get to the point where you realize that you're no longer, you no longer have to run. A lot of time, what makes people drink is because they're either trying to forget or they're trying to deal with the pain and the trauma of all of these things that happen. But when you have dealt with it with God, when you've dealt with it with the Holy Spirit, you no longer have the need to want to use alcohol to cover it or use alcohol to numb the feelings that you feel. So you have to really find how, how God is going to help you or what God has said or how God can help you navigate these things. And then you have to talk to people. You have to open up about the struggles to people. Either you see a counselor, you see a therapist, you see an understanding pastor, you see a friend, you have to open up to someone. Because if you decide to do the journey all by yourself, it's a lot of times it's going to be quite tedious for you. So you need someone to hold you accountable too as you're on this active journey. So you have to report yourself to somebody. Say, see, oh, this is the journey I am on. I need accountability. I need you to help me. Any day you see me close to any shop that they sell alcohol, you help me. Always remind me that I'm on this journey. So seek accountability. And of course, you also, the, the Romans 12, you have to renew your mind. 
to actually know that this healing that you are looking for is possible. If you do not believe that this total healing and recovery is possible, you basically be building your house on top. And um, no, when you're building a house, you have you have a foundation, and you have the solid foundation, and then you start building. But if you do not have this belief that healing is possible, you just be building all of these things on a watery or a sandy foundation. So believe that you can actually go through this thing and give yourself time. Always document your process. Uh, uh, document your process, bearing in mind that your healing, your healing, everything that you did can become a tool that God is going to use to help the next person. So these are some of the things I recommend. I think I mentioned prayer, I mentioned all of that. So these are some of the things I would recommend the person do, does to actually go through the journey. Thank you so much. Um, Isaac, do you have something to say? All right. Hello? Is this? I hear me. Oh, to me. Oh, okay. Yes. This, this question goes to Ebe. You were like, okay. we should let go of that thinking of vengeance and everything. But in our society, yes. like everyone, um, just imagine a scenario where everyone lets go of all these kind of issues, like we don't talk about it. No one does anything about it. Like you just let go. Mm. Don't you think we'll have more of these crimes happening? And if they are not dealt with, if there's no kind of punishments or consequences, don't you think we'll have more of these crimes happening? We'll have more people coming out to do this kind of, and they'll just work around freely and we'll be waiting for maybe God to take vengeance. I don't know if you understand what I mean. So don't you yeah. think yeah. it's, it's not really proper? I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, what I was trying to say is we should do what, do what we can and let God do his part. So, like, which I think I was actually going to ask, ask Maureen. So, yeah, for example, if, you know, you get the chance to, um, you know, report to the police, you report to the police, you get to identify the person, whatever, you know, that's what you can do. So I think you should do what you can, but how do I put it now? Not, like, make it, should I say, a lifelong... I don't, really, I don't, I don't want to say much about it because this is not, it's not my experience. I don't want to downplay anything for anybody. But basically, yes, you need to report to the police so that this person is apprehended, if possible, save society from this person. Yeah, but free your mind. That's that's the point I'm trying to make because that vengeance, that vengeance, God can use the, should I say, imprisonment of that person, that person going to jail, serving time, or community service, whatever the case is. That can be the vengeance. You know, or the vengeance could be some other way. So I didn't, I didn't mean that. You know, you the person should just walk around freely. No, that's not what I meant. I was just talking about you having your own free peace of mind. That's it. No, should I say chasing after the person personally? Just 
yeah, that, that's what I meant. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. So can I also add that? Um, I like that question because you were saying that is that she goes scot free. But sometimes, even you know, when you report to the police and you see like the maybe vengeance. Um, let's say so yeah, so like sexual abuse or something like that, and you see they're in jail sometimes it doesn't even satisfy you because i've heard exactly. story and yeah i had this woman she this woman she her son she um her son was killed by like white people like it was a racist attack and she decided mm-hmm. to like even though she they went to jail or like they put them to she said that she had to forgive them for herself because she said that even if they go to jail or whatever that it wants to like satisfy her if you know what I mean until when she yeah. finally forgave for herself so even if they, they even if they give them like capital punishment or something still that forgive like it still wouldn't give you that satisfaction you need so I think that's why people forgive like why does why people choose to forgive but I know it's hard but that's why okay so I also a lot of times when we talk about punishment yeah I believe that you can the punishment that we meet out to some of these abusers and offenders, I believe is very incomplete. So I'm of the opinion, I believe that we should get to a point where when we actually a lot of, of course, it depends on the individual. Some persons would report to the police and have them arrested. A lot of persons will, will, will take laws into their hands and choose to castrate them different people will handle situations differently. But if if they're being taken to the police, yeah, I also believe that we should have more like a rehabilitation system where we, there's, there's seven time, there might be seven time as a result of the earthly laws have been said, because in our constitution, in, in, in the constitutions of different nations, there are allotted punishment for these crimes. Okay, in as, so, in as much as you send them forth to guns, um, save time for what they have done. I also believe that a lot of time we, we, we should get to a point where we don't leave them like that. There has to be an active intervention process for them that's going to also help them through the process because by the time they finish seven times, they come out. If they do not go through any form of rehabilitation, they'll still come back into the system. And if they are not changed, they'll keep replicating that thing that pushed them into jail in the first place. So I said, why, why there are seven terms? I always, I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I advocate. So why there are seven terms? There should also be a system for rehabilitation so would they do not come back worse than they went in. So if you say punish them, yes, you can punish them, but when they come out, what happens? So I, I, always, I always say, yeah, if you say you want to punish them, punish them. But there has to be a system where they have to go through a form of rehabilitation so we don't keep having repeat offenders in our society where we don't keep having people suffer different times because this person went to jail came out they had to punish so you know that i've seen a couple of movies where those kind of things happen this person was arrested for a particular offense they served time gleefully came back into the society and went back to that person who sent them to jail sugar so a lot of times we shouldn't leave those people, um, we shouldn't just send them to jail and say, oh, okay, that's all, that's all we have to do, or that's all we can do. There has to be a system to actually get these people. As Christians, we have to know that every human being who is 
acting, who is acting in a certain way that is not given um, as God intended, has to be redirected back into their original identity. They have to be redirected into God's agenda for their life. So we have to have that system of, we, we shouldn't totally give up on people like that. Yes, they are terrible. Yes, they did terrible things. But we Christians, what should differentiate us from the rest of the world is that we believe that every human being, irrespective of how damaged they are, irrespective of how much hurt they cost people, they can always be won back for God. So we should have a system where, yes, you've committed this crime, you can suffer for it. But because we serve a God who is in the business of transforming life, we believe that your life can be transformed. But of course, you have to um, give yourself, you have to actively be involved in the school of transformation. You have to um, you have to know what to do, how to help them. We should have a working system of rehabilitating people and bringing them back into God's system, into what God intended for their life, into their original identity. That is, I believe that's one of the most important ways we can read society of some of these things. But if we just punish them for punishing sake, you're still not going to feel at peace because if that guy is there, that one might be in jail. How about the other ones? Okay, if that guy goes to jail and he comes out, what happens to you anymore? So the only security I would have if um, an abuser or rapist, the only security I can, total security I can have is this person went to jail, but they didn't just go to jail to save them. They went to jail while they were in jail. We Christians were actively, in, we have a system, a curriculum of helping them go through transformation. So when they come out, they come back into the world, reintegrated back into God's system with a different kind of mindset. That's where you begin to see um, people who have repented, but who are now actively serving God. They will not come as, oh, they'll say, um, this is what I did before I went to jail. But because we had Christians who came to pray, who came to teach us, now I act differently. They come back into the world and they are, live happily ever after because <laughs> God can change any life. That's my belief though. And I believe we should get to that point where we don't totally give up on people irrespective of how hot we have been. Mm. That's my prayer. That's my mm. desire. I pray we'll get there soon. Amen. Thank you so much, Ma. Um, yeah, we have um, yeah, we've got well very no time left well yeah thank you so much everyone for your questions and thank you so much mrs maureen like i'm so blessed i am so so blessed to have you here today um yeah so i'll just invite peculiar to help us conclude the session today thank you so much maureen you have no idea how many lives you're blessed uh, it's it's really good to have you speak from the place of experience because no one can really explain something to you other than the person who has gone through that experience and having yeah. you go through that experience twice and you brought yourself to that point of wanting to help people out of it it's really good thank you so much thank you i would also recommend her book and i i think we should look out for it too you can also add her on facebook her name is on the fly as well so let's just pray and the prayer has been typed, Lord, help. Thank you for the grace to forgive. And um, let's say, Lord, help me, give me the grace to forgive. And we receive forgiveness towards others that have wronged us in Jesus' name. Mm. Let's begin to pray. 
Father, we thank you for the grace of forgiveness. We thank you because of grace has been made available unto me. We receive forgiveness and also forgive those who have wronged us in Jesus. And we ask that your grace, the grace is made available unto us to forgive. We receive of it and we back basking in it totally, completely. But as men hurt us, we see ourselves as waiters, we see ourselves as recipients of your forgiveness, recipients of your love who have been called into the world of reconciliation. Thank you, King of Glory, because you have not called us into this ministry of forgiveness wherein you have not empowered us. Thank you, King of Glory, because you've graced us, you've forgiven us, and we can't forgive other persons. Thank you, King of Glory, because it is made available unto us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Wow. We've come to the end of today's series. And of course, we are so happy to have you, Maureen. But we want to also have your email so that in case someone who has listened to the recording would want to message you privately or, or ask you certain specific questions so that they can feel free. You can just um, say it so that it can be part of the recording, if you don't mind. Maureen Aliko at gmail.com. That's my personal email address or domestifyabuse at gmail.com. Any of them. Okay. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Thank we you. also God want to have you next too. time too on Gemstones. I hope you don't mind. I don't mind. I'm available. It's a lost work we are all doing. I'm readily available. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for this platform too. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you have you no idea. <laughs> you have no idea how many lives will be touched by this. Thank Amen. you. God bless you. Amen. God. Amen. Thank you. God bless you today. Thank you. Over to you, Iberi. Right. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, we can let's just share the grace and fellowship. Um, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and they will follow us every day. All days of our life. I will dwell in God's house forever. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for coming. Sorry, Pelumi, you were saying something? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. Thank you. I'll thank see you, you next week. Six thank days. you. Thank you so much. Bye. Jerry, bye. 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 Goodbye, everyone. Thank you, Isaac. God bless you. Bye.